Okay, well, I got the recording started here. We're reading Romans chapter 3, verse 1 to 2. What advantage then hath the Jew? <clears throat> or what profit is there of circumcision? Much every way, chiefly because unto them were committed the oracles of God. Let's go ahead and uh, open up with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've committed the oracles of God to uh, the Jews, uh, your chosen people in the Old Testament. We pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear from your word today as we, um, we look at some passages and also uh, history in terms of uh, how you pre- preserved your word through the Old Testament. May you encourage us, Lord, through this study and bless um, this time that we have together. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we started in um, on the doctrine of the preservation of Scripture. And there was like an introduction lesson before that. And we talked about the, the difference between the autographs which is what? What's an auto, What's the autograph referred to? And then there's the apograph, the original writing of the author. You know, so the letter that Paul wrote, or the the epistle, or the, uh, the the gospel that Matthew wrote, or something like that. What's an apograph? It's a copy, right? It's a faithful copy of the autographs. And we talked about how the doctrine of uh, the preservation of Scripture encompasses both. And uh, that, that should not be a controversial doctrine um, these days. Unfortunately, it is. Uh, it's something that Calvin uh, wrote about. Um, and, uh, and also, that's in our confessions. Um, uh, kept pure in all ages, um, and so we, we explored the biblical basis for that, and hopefully we came to the conclusion that Walvrid, <clears throat> uh, maybe that's not the name of the guy who uh, I quoted last week, let me see, um, his statement that... Uh, I can't find it right now, um, but but basically that that teaching is under attack these days. Um, yeah. Which autograph is the right one? Yeah, yeah. There are a bunch of them out there. Yeah, there are. Um, that's we're going to be talking about how do we discern what is God's word and what is not, um, and we'll be getting there. <laughs> um, so patience, uh, but you're, you're right. Um, and that there is a challenge now. There is still that challenge of figuring out which of the apographs. Um, and that is not something that is different in our age than was back, back in the... In fact, next, next week we're going to be talking that, about that and that the church has been doing that all through the ages. Um, and we'll look at some, some criteria that we can use, um, some that are biblical, some that are not biblical. And... There is a secular, non-scientific, non-faith-based, you might say, criteria, and there is a faith-based 
uh, criteria for helping us to discern that. But we'll, we'll be getting there. <laughs> That's good. Um, <clears throat> can we trust the, the opographs is the question. You know, um, has God faithfully in his providence preserved them? And uh, that's, um, that's something that I, th- I think we made a case for through the scriptures last week. Um, this week we're going to be talking about the Old Testament. It seems like I'm getting a little bit of interference. Um, not too bad. Okay. <clears throat> the Old Testament was written primarily in Hebrew. However, parts, namely Daniel chapter 2, uh, 4 through um, 7, 28... Uh, and Ezra 4.8 through 6.18 were written in Aramaic. Okay. Both Hebrew and Aramaic are Semitic languages originating from, uh, when I say a Semitic language, it's um, many originating from Shem and have unique characteristic of being based on syllograms or signs that represent the syllables of words. versus hieroglyphs or pictograms. Um, <clears throat> uh, cuneiform writing um, and hieroglyphs are both pictograms. Um, you, and what would happen is that they'd have these really large alphabets. Not alphabets, they're uh, a syntax. Um, where each picture represented, there'd be thousands of them. And so to understand the language or even to be able to write the language, you would have to be a scribe, a professional scribe. You, this was a, um, a very difficult thing <laughs> to memorize. Even to this day, if you looked at, like Chinese is, is not a silly, uh, they don't have an alphabet um, per se. Uh, it's more of a pictogram. Uh, where you have many, many symbols that you have to master in order to be able to write and read in that language. Um, <clears throat> so it was one of the, it is the first uh, such invention, and not very many people really appreciate how, how amazing that invention was. Um, the uh, asyllogram, uh, the syllogram of alphabet. Thus, Hebrew and Aramaic are said to be sister languages. Aramaic was used within the Babylonian Empire during the Babylonian captivity. Imperial Aramaic script was adopted by the Jews. Also, during this time, Aramaic began to replace Hebrew as a spoken language. So what happened was that the uh, the Hebrews were so immersed into the, the, the Babylonian culture that, and they had to. They had to be able to communicate that they adopted that all the symbols of their alphabet. And it was very similar. It was like a sister language to Old Hebrew. So then they began to write the Old Testament, lang- the Hebrew language, in the Aramaic letters. It was, they did not change the Hebrew words. The words were still Hebrew. It, but it's as if... Uh, you know how, like, when we're sometimes if you have a, a Bible program, you'll you'll see a Greek word, and then it will be written with English letters um, instead of Greek, so that those who don't know the Greek alphabet can still 
say the Greek word. <laughs> it's the same thing that they did back then, is that they didn't know the old Hebrew anymore, and so they began to write it with Aramaic letters. Does that make sense? Because they knew the Arabic, Aramaic alphabet. And so the, the, the lettering style of the Hebrew actually changed from Old Hebrew to Aramaic. <clears throat> Um, Sometime between A.D. 200 and 400, the Hebrew language died out as a spoken language. Um, Therefore, this is A.D., I'm talking about after Christ, uh, 200 to 400 A.D. Therefore, the Jews of Jesus' day spoke primarily Aramaic. Um, The scribes would have known Hebrew, and the political class would have spoken and written in Greek. So we've got three, three languages here intermixed around the time of Jesus. We have the, the common language, Aramaic, and then you have Greek, and then you have Hebrew, which the scribes still would have understood. Um, ancient Hebrew had no vowels and word breaks, accents, or punctuations. Okay? So all you saw were consonants, all run together with no breaks, no punctuation, any of that. Even, even today, when you open a Hebrew, the Hebrew Bible, you'll see these accent marks. And those were added in, um, uh, I forget what year, but many, many years later by the Masorites, so that people would understand the vowels that were in the, the Hebrew uh, in the Hebrew language, because the Hebrew language was being so lost that they didn't understand. Um, no, hardly anybody understood what vowels went with what words, and so they added little accent marks. They 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 didn't want to change the Hebrew letters, but they added accents for the they call that vowel pointing. Um, so that's the language of the... Uh, I'm talking to you about the languages of the Old Testament. We've got Hebrew and Aramaic. Um, now let's talk about the writers of the Old Testament. Uh, if you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 7, verse 19, we see what Jesus thinks. Well, he thinks the law was written. Who, the, who wrote the law? Chapter 7, verse 19. Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you keepeth the law? Why go you about, go ye about to kill me? So who did Jesus think wrote the law? Moses, obviously. Um, we, uh, the law written, uh, described here is the five first, first five books of the Old Testament. John 5.45 uh, also says something similar if you go back a few chapters to chapter 5, verse 45. He says, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. For had ye believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. <clears throat> When did my Moses write of Jesus? Well, that's Deuteronomy eighteen fifteen to 19, where it says, The Lord my God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me. Unto him ye shall hearken. 
So Jesus proclaimed Moses as the writer of Deuteronomy, right? Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, or I mean, um, yeah, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's the first five books. Of the... Genesis two. What's that? Not Genesis chapter two. Uh, the uh, also. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you, you could say that he's mentioned also in the proto um, or the um, the gospel um, in the garden. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah. Similar passages about the law of, of the leper in Matthew 8.4 and Mark 10.4-5, the certificate of divorce, refer to Moses as the writer of the Torah. God used many men to author the Old Testament. We have um, the Torah, which was written by Moses in around 1400 B.C. Joshua wrote Joshua. Judges Ruth for Samuel. Second Samuel were written by Samuel, um, Nathan, and Gad around 1,000 to 900 B.C. First and Second Kings were written by Jeremiah in 600 B.C. First Chronicles, Second Chronicles, Ezra, and Nehemiah were written by Ezra in 450 B.C. And we'll talk about Ezra and his role in the writing of the Old Testament. And I could go on. Um, many of the, you know, you know uh, Job was written by Moses. That's one of the oldest books. Um, Psalms. Uh, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, uh, many books like Psalms were written by David, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song Song of Solomon by Solomon, and then we've got the prophets, um, which are written by the prophets that they, the books that they represent. Could Moses, okay, so we, we said that the Torah was written by Moses. Well, when in the scope of history did that happen? Well, it was around the time of the Exodus, right? So then the question becomes, could Moses have actually written the Torah? Um, This is a quote by an atheist um, named Christopher Hitchens in his book, God is Not Great, in a chapter, page 102, in a chapter, The Nightmare of the Old Testament. Um, there was no flight from Egypt, no wandering in the desert, let alone for the incredible four-decade length of time mentioned in the Pentateuch, and no dramatic conquest of the Promised Land. It was all quite simple and very ineptly made up at a much later date. No Egyptian chronicle mentions this episode either, even in passing, and Egypt was the garrison power in Canaan, as well as Nolitic region at all the material times. Indeed, much of the evidence is the other way. Okay. So this is what um, a modern atheist would think. Uh, that the Old Testament could not have even been, you know, there was not even, to them, there was not even an alphabet to write something uh, back then. Is, Hitchin correct? Is Hitchens correct? Is there no mention of Hebrew in Egypt? The Hebrews in Egypt. Furthermore, is, it is hotly debated whether Hebrew even existed as a writing language in the time of ancient Egypt's dynastic kingdoms. Let's read um, Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 18 to 20. 
Deuteronomy 11, 18 to 20, underscores the problem that we have. Therefore shall ye lay up these these my words in your heart and in your soul and bind them for a sign upon your hand that they may be as frontlets between your eyes. And ye shall teach them your children speaking of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down and when thou risest up. And thou shalt write them upon the doorposts of thine house and upon thy gates, that your days may be multiplied in the days of your children in the land which the Lord sware unto your fathers to give them as the days of heaven upon the earth. So, um, what does this imply about the Hebrews? They can write. What else? Did I hear something? They can write, they, they can read, they that they were literate. Okay, so we have a problem here. We have archaeologists over here saying, no, there was no writing, there was no alphabet, there was no Hebrew around the Egyptian dynastic periods. But here we have a Bible passage that Moses is telling them to write and to read <laughs> something. <laughs> this is a pre- pretty amazing stuff. Okay, did... Did all their children go to Egyptian, um, uh, I don't know, schools to, re- to read hieroglyphs or something, uh, to, to memorize the thousands of, of characters um, that represented each word? Um, that's what, what the question uh, becomes. <clears throat> yeah. But they're slaves, right? So... Right, they're poor. Yeah, this is a poor, poor man's language here. Uh, in the documentary, okay, so a lot of this comes from what I'm going to be telling you is is somewhat um, speculative. Uh, it's it's archaeology. It changes. Um, so I'm not I'm not trying to. Uh, but I'll I'll give you. I'll, I'll try to make a case here. Um, and a lot of this comes from, ironically, uh, Pastor Sharp sent me a text. You remember he sent me a text. Where in the world did the, um, did when you were going through Exodus, did Moses cross the Red Sea? Why? If you look in the back of your Bible, the map does not show a line through the Red Sea. It's very puzzling. Yes. So those maps in the Bible are not helpful. Yeah. And I think they're admitting they don't know. Uh, but I find well, that surprising just based on the text. You would think, I mean, if you look after the class at, at, at your map, I want someone to show me a line going through the Red Sea because I couldn't find one in any of my Bible. Yeah. So I, I got this text, and I'm like, well, I don't know. It's got to be around. You know, somebody's got to know this. And what, whenever I get a really tough question, a lot of times I'll go to the Answers in Genesis website, um, uh, and um, and they they have a lot of research. Uh, they're a creationist um, museum um, uh, down in Kentucky. Is got fantastic uh, research. Um, if you've ever gone through um, the Ark Encounter and that kind of stuff. And so, anyways, uh, I always went there and I would go there and I would look this up. And I found a documentary called The Moses Controversy. Um, or, well, actually, Patterns of Evidence. The, and one of the videos in the series called Patterns of Evidence is called The Moses Controversy. And the filmmaker, Timothy Mahoney, 
makes the point that the following four requirements must be met to support the mosaic authorship. Okay, these four requirements. You first need to have a writing system that must have existed in the time of the Exodus. You must have a writing system that would have had to existed in Egypt. You had to have a writing system that would have had to harness the power of the alphabet um, in order to write Hebrew. And you would have to have a writing system that would need to have been in the form something like Hebrew, a, a very Hebrew-like alphabet. <clears throat> so um, the materials to be able to write the Old Testament are plentiful uh, in the Hebrew history. You know, what did they? What they? What were they? They were sheep herders. They had lots of skins, <clears throat> um, and all you need is a bunch of skins, um, and. And uh, a quill and some ink, and you're on your way. Uh, so the materials were, would have been plentiful, <clears throat> even in the wilderness. Traditional Egypt chronology can be divided up into the following periods. You have the Old Kingdom, uh, first uh, the, the first intermediate period dynasties, the Middle Kingdom, the second intermediate period, and the New Kingdom. Um, and these are I can give you dates for all of those, but um, I don't want to rattle, rattle those off. A traditional Bible history places the Exodus during the New Kingdom, the, la the last kingdom. They call it the New Kingdom. <clears throat> during the reign of Ramses, which was 1250 B.C. Well, I told you that Moses wrote the Old Testament around 1400 B.C. So here Ramses is in the 12th. 1200s. <clears throat> there is only one problem with that, that Ramses II um, was the time, uh, alive during the time of the Exodus. Let's turn in our Bibles to Exodus chapter 14. Verse 18. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten my honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. Okay. Now turn in your Bibles to Psalms 106, 11. I don't think that's the verse I'm thinking of. Uh, it's in this chat. It's in 106, but I think I've got the first wrong. Anybody see the reference to Pharaoh? Uh, I might have to do a search real quick. It says he rebuked the Red Sea also, and it dried up, and he led them through the depths 
as through the wilderness, and he saved them from the hand of him that hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. And the waters covered their enemies. There was not one of them left. I guess that, yeah, that's the verse I was thinking of. There was not one of them left. And then turn to Psalms 136, verse 15. This is the one I was thinking of. That I, um, Verse 15 says, But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his mercy endureth forever. So according to Psalms and, and also Genesis, where is Pharaoh? He's dead. Was his body ever recovered? No. Um, it was, uh, uh, you know, food for the sharks, whatever. This is a picture of Ramses II, and Ramses is in Cairo right now. <laughs> so could this be Pharaoh? Well, Does he look like he's in Cairo? Uh, Cairo. And not if he's in Cairo, <laughs> that's right. So this guy is not Pharaoh, right? So we have a problem with that. Um, traditional, uh, traditional Bible history. Okay, where where is Pharaoh? That he's in the bottom of the Red Sea. The, um, according to um, according to Genesis forty seven eleven and Exodus twelve thirty seven. The, the Israelites dwelt in the land of Ramses. And so that's where we get the connection to Ramses II, is that the Bible actually tells us that they dwelt in the city of, uh, or the land of Ramses. <clears throat> but there is no evidence of Semites or Hebrews in the New Kingdom. If you look at the New Kingdom archaeologically, there is no, no evidence at all. And so Hitchens is correct. If you look, if you take the Bible and you say, okay, Ramses is the Pharaoh, and and you go to the period of the New Kingdom, there are no Hebrews. Okay. Um, however, if you dig a little deeper and you find a time period in a town called the Varas, okay, full of Semites, and this is a, a lower a, a, period, a place that's very close to Ramses. And um, historians think that this Avaris is the land of Goshen. Okay. And it's at a layer, archaeologically, one layer down from where Ramses is in the, in the middle kingdom instead of the new kingdom. <clears throat> um, in, and there, in this layer, there is a ton of evidence of Hebrews in this time period in the middle kingdom in the land of Goshen or Avaris, uh, later na uh, named Ramses, and elsewhere. You have the house of Joseph, his tomb, and the tomb of his brothers. You have late 12th dynasty shows large Semitic villages. You have papyrus with lists of Hebrew slaves in them, on them. You have an account of the plagues. And in the 13th dynasty, during the reign of Neferhotep I, you see a departure of the Semitic slaves. The mummy of Neferhotep was never found, and neither um, and his son, uh, Wanferhotep, never reigned. 
Okay, and so you see a lot of connections here uh, with the Old Testament, but it's in the wrong period. But what about Genesis chapter 47, 11, when it says it, in the land of Ramses um, and Exodus twelve thirty seven, and the children of, uh, of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth. So um, if you look at uh, Genesis, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 47, verse 11. It says, And Joseph placed his father and his brethren and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses. Was, so this is 400 years before the Exodus. So if Ramses is in the new kingdom, was there a town at the time of Joseph called Ramses? No. This is what's called... a. Uh, a later revision of the text. Okay? And what happens is when a town drops out of existence, maybe because of a mass exodus of the slaves, and another town is built up and it's called something else, because that name is no longer known to anybody, they just name the place by what the modern town is called. Does that make sense? And so this may have been a revision just because the, the name of uh, you know, Goshen or the location of Goshen was so archaic that they used a modern, a modern name for it. And it may have been a revision at a later time. Moses may not have written this particular word. He may have, this had been a scribal change. Maybe Ezra himself, when he, transcribed, uh, when he wrote um, and preserved the Old Testament, may have changed Moses' writings here. Um, Ezra himself being an author of the Old Testament. Um, and so we have, uh, and this is just an example of where that happens because it's not possible for Ramses to even have been a word back then um, in the time of Joseph. Um, uh, so uh, they, didn't, they didn't go into a town called Ramses. Question, yeah. would this be along the same lines of like when it mentions constellations named Orion or things like that? That, that may very well could be, yeah. Necessarily, but yeah. I, I'm not sure on that particular um, you know topic, but that may be. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm just, yeah. I've always been curious about those things. So. Right, yeah. <laughs> okay, so. Delta, right? What? Delta region. Um, I can show you a map of where exactly where it's at in this book, but it's uh, it's along the it's along the Nile region, yeah. Yeah, isn't it like in Job when you put the constellations in, in the oh. sky and he mentions them by and they're mentioned by name? By name, yeah, yeah, they could be. Um, so why do I mention this? <clears throat> um, uh, in 1905. Flinders Petrie, a British Egyptianologist with his wife, Hilda, discovered the proto-Sinetic script in Sarabit el-Kadim, um, and it's an Egyptian mining camp for copper and turquoise in the Sinai Peninsula. Um, in 1999, the same script was found in Thebes, 
this is very recently here, in Thebes, intermixed with hieroglyphics of the Middle Kingdom. Okay. And uh, five of the oldest alphabets, Betic inscriptions, are all of the period of Joseph and the Middle Kingdom. Uh, the, I'm sorry, five of the oldest alphabetic inscriptions ever found are in the period of Joseph in the Middle Kingdom. Okay, so um, what we have, let me kind of write some of this down. <clears throat> this is the traditional understanding of the development of the, um, the, lang the languages that are alphabetic. So you have, most people think that there's this language called Proto-Sinetic. And that was a mixture of hieroglyphics and, um, and that kind of thing, but put into, a, a syllab a, um, uh, into an alphabetic form. And then you have some kind of mystery script. which then gave rise to Aramaic. Language uh, script um, that originated that. Um, you uh, and then Aramaic. They believe that Aramaic. Uh, you have modern Hebrew. So here you see Ezra taking Aramaic during the uh, Babylonian captivity and using Aramaic letters to write modern Hebrew. Um, or uh, they also have square Hebrew. They call it square Hebrew, which then developed into modern Hebrew. So you have old Hebrew is being lost. That script, we still have it. We, we know what it is, but that's no longer being used um, from the Babylonian captivity on. Um, you, you poem us, and a Hellenistic Jewish historian states in his On the Kings of Judea, in 150 BC, he says this, Moses was the first wise man and the first that imparted grammar to the Jews. The, Phoeni um, the Phoenicians received it from the Jews and the Greeks from the Phoenicians. So this historian, 150 BC, a Jewish historian, so he might be biased because he's a Jew, believed that no, Hebrew was the parent language to Phoenician, and Phoenician became Greek. If, if you start looking at it, it's fascinating. I, I started looking at some of these hieroglyphics, like, for example, the, the letter Aleph, where we get the letter A, comes from the, the Egyptian cow. It looks like a cow. And over time, it turns into um, a sideways letter like this 
which is out Greek alpha, and then we turned it this way. And so it's an upside-down cow, <laughs> our letter A. But it came from hieroglyphics. Um, the, uh, uh, we, we hear the word hallelujah. We, we sing hallelujah. Uh, there's the, um, in Hebrew the halal, um, which is a letter in the Hebrew alphabet, comes from um, the hieroglyphic of this guy raising his hands uh, in, in praise. Um, it's where we get the word um, hallelujah, you know. Uh, so a lot of this, uh, a lot of these languages carried over uh, this into the Semitic alphabet. And so what I'm trying to show you is that um, God in his providence created the alphabet um, to preserve his scripture. Um, so anyways... Old Hebrew and Phoenician are virtually the same script and English indistinguishable. Um, the script I'm talking about. So these two languages are virtually indescribable. So the modern theory that Hebrew... Um, well, anyways. So um, there is no reason why this, the mystery script right here could not itself be Old Hebrew. There, there's nothing to say that that's not possible. Um, the alphabet then disappears from Egypt, and this same proto-Sinaitic script pops up in Canaan. And it's re when it's there, it's referred to the proto-Canaanite script. This fits the biblical narrative of the Exodus exactly. In the Middle Kingdom, you have all this tons of evidence of the Hebrews dwelling in Egypt. And then you also have evidence in Egypt, five inscriptions throughout Egypt in the Middle Kingdom of this mystery language script. Okay? And at the same time, then it moves to Canaan along with the Hebrews and the archaeological evidence of the Hebrews. You have the destruction of, the, um, of uh, Jericho, and you have, around the same period, you have the walls. They even have, uh, I can get it all into Jericho. It's a fascinating study. Um, but anyways, you can see that the language comes along with the archaeological evidence to Canaan. Um, the alphabet then disappears from Egypt and the same proto-Assinic pops up in Canaan. This, uh, okay, so there's the four criteria are met, basically. Moses could have been, no, Moses was the author of the Torah um, during the Exodus. Um, some believe the Hebrew existed before Abraham and was the one language and the one speech of the pre-Babel times in Genesis 11.1. Evidence of this is found in the fact that the names of animals reflect their characteristics in Hebrew. Uh, proper names have significant meanings, and the names of nations are often derived from the names of the sons and grandsons of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Uh, but that's highly speculative, um, highly speculative. 
Uh, so let's turn then um, to the preservation of the Old Testament. <clears throat> Regarding the preservation of the Old Testament, according to ancient Jewish writings, the Talmud, um, the Talmud, uh, ancient Jewish writings, uh, I would not put a lot of weight, the Talmud is very anti-Christian, um, anti-Christ, uh, but it's Jew- it has a lot of Jewish history in it. Ezra formed a synod of scribes and teachers known as the Great Synagogue or Great Assembly um, for the purpose of teaching and interpreting the Torah. In order to do this effectively, one of their tasks was the production of a standard Old Old Testament text. The Great Assembly was replaced by a specialized school of scribes, the Sophirim, in about 300 B.C., the term sophirim has been used somewhat more loosely in previous eras, but now came to designate a specific group of men who were trained Torah scholars and copyists. Over time, the sophirim and then their ancestors, or their successors, the Masorites, set about counting the words and letters of the standardized text and establishing strict rules for copying to ensure that no errors or changes would be allowed in the text. In time, the various notes and marginal readings came to form to be formed to form what is called uh, what is known as the Mazora. Um, so, what what you see is you have professional scribes, a school of professional scribes, starting to form around the time of Ezra, all the way, and this tradition is continued through the time of Christ all the way into um, uh, into the 4th and 5th, even all the way up into the 8th century uh, AD, you see very meticulous professional copyists who count the letters. Each They give a number to each letter in the Hebrew alphabet, and then at the end of the, each line, they, they count up all those numbers, and then they, they tally it, and so that any time they're making a copy, they have to go through that process of counting everything and making sure that they they didn't miss a single letter. It's very meticulously counted. Um, and so the Old Testament was very well preserved. Um, this is from a brief history of the Hebrew Bible by Deborah E. Anderson that I'm quoting. Um, uh, that was a... Let's see. Yeah, I'm sorry. I should have told you this, but this is a quote... Um, when I said, according to the ancient Jewish writings, the Talmud, Ezra formed a synod, that was all a quote from uh, Deborah E. Anderson. I want to make sure I um, mention that. As stated above, during the Babylonian captivity, imperial Aramaic script was adopted and all, and all Hebrew was written with Aramaic letters. Hebrew began to die out and become replaced by Greek in around 200 B.C. The Septuagint from the Latin words for 70 was completed, which is a Greek translation of the Old Testament. Um, The Septuagint would have been the Bible for many Jews during the Jesus day who only knew Greek and Aramaic. And so you can see how Hebrew was starting to die out and their translations were starting to be made. And one of these translations was into Greek called the Septuagint. Skipping ahead, this is very valuable, the Septuagint, by the way, because it has a lot of translations of Hebrew into Greek words, and it helps us to understand uh, the Hebrew a lot better because we know 
some of the Greek and how the Greek was used in other, in other contexts. Um, as stated above, um, I'm sorry, I'll skip ahead. Um, now moving on to the Christian era, the destruction of the temple in 70 AD by Titus brought an end to the religious center of the Jewish people in Jerusalem. Remaining Jewish scholars met in Jamina, northeast of Gaza in 90 AD in an effort to preserve the Old Testament Hebrew. They realized the oral traditions of the vowel sounds were being lost. This began the work of the Masoretes, um, professional copies that carefully copied the Old Testament century after century. Today, two extant manuscripts, Leningrad Codex of uh, uh, 1008 AD and Aleppo Codex of 925 AD still survive from the Ben Asher's Masoretic family. So what is my conclusion? My conclusion is this. Hitchin, uh, Christopher Hitchens, the atheist, is a fool. Yet many read his books on the internet and deconvert from Christianity. Romans chapter 3, verse 1 through 2, which I read at the beginning of this lesson, says, What advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? Much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. This word committed <clears throat> means to entrust with. It, it has the Greek base of uh, faith, pistuo, but it, it, in this context means to, to entrust to someone to faithfully commit you know, a charge. Um, uh, to, to put your trust in someone that they'll carry something out. Um, it's to commit the word of God to someone. <clears throat> uh, in his providence, God entrusts his holy word to his people. He sovereignly caused a young Jew, maybe Joseph himself, to invent one of the greatest inventions in the world, the Silligram alphabet. So that common people like uh, slaves and uh, Egyptian slaves could read and write so that he could entrust them with his divine truth. Then he supernaturally preserved his word throughout history for us today, using his spirit to cause revivals. Remember uh, Josiah and the revival um, during his period. To stir his church into action, to wake them up and by faith, and reverence to preserve his holy word. My question to you this morning, do we at Calvary OPC have a responsibility to preserve his word? If so, what does that look like? And I'll just leave it at that. Let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the Old Testament and all that you did to preserve your words for us this day, for entrusting them to the Hebrews. And for the many faithful copyists over the years who uh, we, we so underappreciate, Lord, the benefit of being able to take our, our Bibles home with us and to read them. But many were in darkness for, for thousands of years without any revelation of the gospel of, of uh, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.